everyone. Welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us. So today on the show, we're going to talk a little about pop-up fertilizer, especially pop-up fertilizer in corn. And as we say that, you may refer to that as starter fertilizer. When we start talking about pop-up fertilizer, what we mean is fertilizer in the furrow. Two by two, which is the other kind of standard way a lot of people will put fertilizer on with the planter, that could also be considered starter fertilizer. So (laughs) we just want to make the distinction here. Today, our real focus is we're going to talk about what to put in the furrow for fertilizer for corn. Now, I will say that it doesn't just have to be fertilizer. So I was literally just writing something up uh, that we're going to talk about here, I think next week, where it's fungicide in the furrow. It could be insecticide in the furrow. There could be biologicals or plant growth hormones. So there are a lot of other things that you could put in the furrow. I will say this, mixing becomes more of an issue because let's think about it. You know, you might say, well, fertilizer ought to mix just fine with my fungicide or insecticide or even biologicals. Well, what you're probably thinking about is post-emerge. And post-emerge, you're usually putting it with a whole bunch of water. So if you've got 10 gallons of water and you mix fungicide and insecticide together, you never see mixing problems. You throw a little bit of fertilizer in the tank, you rarely see mixing problems. But I'll tell you what, if you're just putting fertilizer and it's straight fertilizer together with some of these other things, that's when you have to be careful about what you're mixing, the order, and, and that kind of thing. So with pop-up fertilizer, we're going to talk about that today in corn, like what could you use, what should you use, how much, and probably the key thing that I want you to think about throughout the day today is just because we say, oh, it's fertilizer for corn, you're probably automatically thinking it's good. It's not always good. There are levels, and in some cases, surprisingly low levels of fertilizer in the furrow that can hurt corn. We'll explain on our show today, but right now we want to get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's the mailbag! All right, we'll speak about pop-up fertilizer in corn. We got a question here from Travis in southeast South Dakota. He said, I was wondering about a strategy here in corn on corn. Thinking about doing some early tillage with a disc to break up some of the corn stalks and get some dirt on the surface to warm things up a little bit faster. We're in corn on corn in this situation and we've had trouble with phosphorus uptake in the past. We've got high magnesium soil, but now have tile in the ground and we've been putting on elemental sulfur over the last couple of years trying to help with the soil pH and excess magnesium. We don't have infurrow capabilities on the planter, but we're wondering, should we use the disc early or should we just wait and try a single tillage pass ahead of corn since it's fairly dry out to conserve moisture? And then also wondering, have you found any natural products that could help us with the corn stalks and also help us with phosphorus uptake? Helping with the corn stalks in terms of natural products, yes, there's a product called Decomp that we do use to help break down residue. In terms of getting more phosphorus availability, that's that that's a little tougher. No, we haven't found anything that's amazingly great, but certainly there are some products out there that you could put on the corn or in the furrow, whether it's microcycle, nutricycle. There are a few out there that can help at least a little bit. Okay, so as to the big question on this disc, 
and I'm just going to be super blunt here, I'd let that disc sit in the shed. I don't like disking in the spring, and here's why. Discs, keep in mind, are used to build roads. So if you've got moisture out there, which we often do in the spring, and especially early in the spring, we just worry that you're going to create more compaction than you're going to like. So quite often in the fall, we do disking, but then we'll do something like, let's say, chisel plowing right afterwards, so we kind of bust up some of the compaction we may have just created. If it was me, instead of using a disc, I would use one of these Coulter machines. It seems like just about every company out there has some kind of Coulter machine that they'll use in the spring. A lot of people will call that vertical tillage. I like those. We've used those. We don't seem to create the compaction with those. And now you do get some dirt up together with your corn stalks. You size up the corn stalks more. So if it was me, that's the direction I'd go. All right. Thanks for the question, Travis. Uh, this one comes from Craig. He said, I've got a disaster soil area here. I had this field sampled in two and a half acre grids. And he said, I'm sending you my averages rather than all the tests. But my field average is 72% calcium, 23% magnesium, 2% potassium. So just running the numbers. And how heavy is the soil? 97 there. He said, the field average is 19 for CEC. Yep. And the pH is 7.7. Now, we've had soybeans for 25 years for the most part. We've tried corn a few times, but just haven't gotten good corn yields. We do much better with soybeans on this ground. We do have some drainage issues. They aren't severe, <laughs> but we don't really have a good way to get rid of the water. My phosphorus is through the roof, but potassium is lower than I'd like, and I want to try to fix that pH before I do too much with nutrients, macro or micro. Wondering where you would start with this situation. Well, my first dollar would go to drainage. And I know you just said, where does the water go? If it was me, and you know, I don't know your situation, I don't know where the ground is, I would try hard to figure out somewhere for the water to go, even if I have to pump it. It's been so unbelievably worth it for the farmers that we've worked with all around the country and really all around the world whenever they do fix the drainage issues because something like your high magnesium where you're at 23%, over time that can flush down. We can get that, that level down like we would like to, but you're not going to be able to get it down if you have poor drainage. Next thing, K, you're at half the level we'd like to see you at. So I'm not saying you have to put all that on in one shot but i am saying you need to be on a build program and a pretty if it was me a pretty stout build program every year the next thing is i would look at the other nutrients so i realize your your ph is high and you're probably saying hey i gotta fix that first we always say look at it first not necessarily fix it first ph is a symptom of all these other things that have caused it to be high if you get your K levels up, you take a look at your micronutrients, get those up, you fix your drainage, I'll bet you that pH starts coming down over the next few years, and it's for the most part going to fix itself. Well, stay tuned. We'll talk pop-up fertilizer right after this. The Pentair Hypro Express Flush Valve reduces plugged nozzles and improves cleanout of your spray boom. Simply flush boom sections with a quarter turn ball valve and leave your tools in the cab. Plus, installation is easy. Simply remove the existing end cap plug and replace with the Hypro Express Flush Valve. Learn more at Pentair.com slash Hypro. Start your crop off right with the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Our spike design excels on variable soils and shatters compaction. Plus, the unique shoulder firmer encases a seed to maximize seed-to-soil contact. Order yours at farmshopmfg.com. 
With stronger bean prices ahead, don't let white mold reduce your yield and profits again this year. Contans WG reduces sclerotia in your fields, eliminating white mold at the source. White mold was a major problem in 2019, costing soybean farmers valuable yield potential. As you rotate back into those white mold infected areas this spring, protect yourself by applying Contans. Clean your soils and return lost yield potential to every soybean you plant with Contans WG. As a little girl, I always wanted to run the combine because it meant I was helping dad. And dad always said, farmers are helpers. I'm teaching that to my daughters, that farmers help our family, our neighbors, and our community. It's what I do at work. I help farmers get the equipment they need. My name is Kim, I'm a farmer, and I work for Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. A lot goes into keeping a precision operation moving. The inputs you choose have to deliver results. New Delaro Complete Fungicide from Bayer offers unmatched consistency and the most complete disease control available. Your corn and soybeans are protected and yields higher, even in unpredictable conditions. With Delaro Complete, you get results you can count on to help keep your precision operation running smoothly. Always read and follow label instructions. To learn more, visit delarocomplete.us today. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio. We're talking about pop-up fertilizer in corn. And when we say pop-up, we're talking about in the furrow. And it's interesting, as I talk to farmers all over the world who have different soil types, different situations, we get a lot of questions about it. You know, there's, hey, there's so many different things I can do with my planter. Is it worth setting up to do a two-by-two? Is it worth setting up to do insecticide? Is it worth setting up to put fertilizer right in that furrow? And if so, what should I be putting in the furrow? So it's a great discussion. We would love to hear from you at 844-44-AG-PHD. Got our friend Reed Abbott on with us right now. He works with Agro Liquid. Reed, how are you doing? Doing very good. How are you doing? Well, I'm doing great. Now, when you look at percentages of farmers who are set up to put things in furrow, it's a growing percentage. There are more guys getting excited about the ability to put something in furrow, whether that's insecticide or fertilizer or fungicide or biological type things, lots of different choices of of what could go there. We love having a little bit of fertilizer in the furrow on our farm. It's worked good for us in our soils. What do you see as you travel around the country? You cover a pretty broad territory and lots of different soils and moisture conditions what what's the general consensus uh, across agriculture with infrared type applications absolutely I, I i see that as a growing trend and and of course uh we at agro liquid uh enjoy the benefits of that that growing trend but uh yeah i think guys are just understanding the importance of that early season healthy plant that's getting off to a, a quick start and you know able to take advantage of the sunlight a little earlier and, and, uh, you know, really build a root structure, uh, underneath that plant and, and get going. And, 
And of course, that in-furrow fertility is going to be a, a large component to making that happen. Yeah, early season growth is so important. I, I often equate it to livestock. Brandon, I grew up, we had a, a cow-calf operation when we were young and a farrow-to-finish hog operation. We had a lot of young animals. And if you saw a young animal that had a tough time getting going, they just never seemed to catch up. And I see the same right. thing with our plants out in our field. If one pops up late, it just doesn't have that push that those early emergers often do. So what do you see? Is there kind of a, a breaking point here? Because I know we talk to farmers that say they've overdone it on infrared fertilizer, oftentimes 10 gallons, 20 gallons, just crazy amounts in, in my opinion. But, yep. but hey, you got to push the limits, right? Sometimes just to figure out where the limits are. That's right. That's right. And you, you certainly have to take a look at, at each person's situation and what what their soils can take and what their crop can take. I mean, even uh, between different crops. I mean, we're talking corn today, which is fairly tolerant uh, or, or, you know, a little hardier. But, you know, you get into some of your oilseed crops and you've got to really watch how much salt load you're putting into that furrow uh, slice uh, to keep that seed safe. But certainly there is a breaking point. Um, I always, uh, you know, suggest the guy talk to either one of us uh, or, or one of our dealers, you know, before they go in there and do something too risky. I mean, obviously losing stand is going to uh, affect your yield as well. So uh, there is a breaking point, but there's there's uh, definitely a benefit uh, when used correctly uh, to that, that early season fertility. Well, also, I, I wonder what nutrients do we need? And this is something we've we've been looking at in our farm, and we feel like if we've got uh, an NPK blend and we've got some micros available early, we don't need a huge amount of fertilizer to get that early boost in growth. I don't. I just don't understand, though. In in a lot of with a lot of farmers I talk to, they're using things like ten thirty four O, for example, and you've got quite a bit of nitrogen there. You got lots of phosphorus, no K, no micros, and I don't understand why it's just phosphorus that gets to be the focus. Don't we need a complete blend out there? Um, I I certainly think that there there is a need for a complete blend, and I mean that that obviously is going to depend on what what's going on in your soil. Um, you know, micros too are a, a very overlooked, uh, thing early on. I mean, they're, they're micronutrients, they're called micronutrients for a reason. They're available in pretty small amounts and for that early, uh, or young corn plant that doesn't have a, you know, very robust root system on there, having something available right there in furrow, uh, is, is certainly going to be a benefit in most situations. But, um, yeah, I, I think a well-balanced program um, looking at the forms of, of those products going in furrow, uh, you know, A for seed safety, but what that plant can utilize uh, early on is going to be important, too, to pay attention to. Well, I know there's one product. We talk a lot to the research folks with AgriLiquid. We just, in fact, just had Jerry Willem on the other day, and uh, there's some new products. I know you've got something new coming out with phosphorus to try to boost early growth. Can you talk about that and what's different versus some of the other things out there on the market? Absolutely. So, I mean, the topic of the show today is is pop-up fertilizer, and and uh, a lot of times that gets misconstrued a little bit, uh, at least with our uh, language that we like to use with farmers. What we've used before is our Pro Germinator product, which is, uh, we like to say, a, a season-long planter type, planter time application uh, of, of phosphorus. But uh, in referring to what, what we've come out with new here, it's a product called Spring Up, which is a higher orthophosphate. 
uh, type product and uh, than that pro germinator was uh, pro germinator has that orthophosphate form in a lower concentration, of course, to get that plant off and going. But this spring up, we, we found that there's a desire in the market to have a little bit higher orthophosphate form of fertilizer there uh, in certain markets. And so we've, we've come out with that to, to try to get that plant off and running um, and, and be used in combination with, you know, more full season, uh, you know, either a dry application or, you know, maybe a strip to liquid application, something like that. So uh, it's, it's a very good product. We're excited about it. Saw good results in our research. And uh, I think we're going to be seeing it pushed on a lot of acres this year. So, Well, spring up sounds interesting. I know that we like to get going when it's pretty cool out there. And you mentioned it could be mixed with other things. Are, are there watch outs that you have on that or, or mixing advice that you'd give us? Do you like to see additional water getting mixed in with fertilizer when you're putting it in furrow? How, how do you go about that mixing early in the season? Um, generally with our products, we, we don't have any issues, uh, with mixability, uh, you know, when you're, when you're looking at our total line and, and, uh, especially with this new spring up product, um, we can run our products straight. Uh, a lot of guys, you know, when you're talking about those lower volumes, just want a little water in there so that their pumps are flowing right. And, you know, you're getting that steady stream rather than it just, uh, kind of half, uh, squirting it out there. So, um, you know, you can do whatever is best for your for your situation or your setup, but you do not have to run water with our products. Uh, you can just run them straight. Now, last question I've got for you, Reed. There's a lot of different placement methods for putting things in furrow, whether it's spraying that fertilizer to the sides of the trench or putting it right on top of the seed or right under the seed. Do you have a preference on that? Is there anything growers should be watching out for? With corn, uh, and, and again, I'm, I'm speaking of our products, specifically the, the, what we found in our research is that in furrow, uh, totally tubular application works very well. Uh, again, with our products, that's a safe application, uh, one that we've, we don't have any issues with in corn, um, and, and we feel like gets kind of the best bang for, for its buck. Uh, as you get kind of further away from that seed, um, we do see, you know, a little bit of, of yield reduction in that. And, I mean, I understand why guys uh, typically go away from the seed a little bit, you know, added safety benefits there, or maybe, ease, you know, an easier application method type thing. Um, but we, where we do see the biggest thing for our buck on our research farm utilizing our products is right there in furrow under that seed uh, at where that, that first radical root can, can jump out there and get it talking about pop-up fertilizer and corn, how to get the best early response out of your crop. And we've been speaking here with Reed Abbott with AgriLiquid. Reed, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Appreciate it. Thanks a lot, guys. You bet. All right, Brian, uh, Reed brings up a lot of things. I know there's a lot of variants out there in soils for, for the folks that are listening. Heavy soils, high organic matter, certainly have a little bit more forgiveness, a little more place for that fertilizer to uh, to tie up on compared to some of these light sandy soils. Would you say uh, everything we're talking about here applies to both, or is it something we're going to have to talk about a little bit more? Yeah, we got to go through it just a little bit more, but I, I mean, we're always concerned most about safety. The last thing we want to have you do is put fertilizer in the furrow that ends up hurting your yield rather than helping it. So I want to get to that right after this break. Stay tuned. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio.
Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. It takes a team to beat resistant weeds. Experts agree using multiple herbicides with alternate modes of action increases your chances of beating resistant weeds. Tough IVC is a selective, contact herbicide for post-emergence control of broadleaf weeds, especially herbicide-resistant strains. Tough IVC is a perfect teammate, having a synergistic effect with HPBD inhibitors and enhances products in the PS2 group. Make Tough IVC part of your winning team. Ask your local retailer about Tough IVC or visit BelchamUSA.com. Always read and follow label instructions. You're looking for soybeans that give you the yield you want. But when it comes to fighting your toughest weeds, you also need flexibility. Introducing Extend Flex Soybeans. Elite Genetics with triple tolerance to dicamba, glyphosate, and glufosinate. The yield you want, the choice you need. Learn more at extendflexsoy.com. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. We now bring you an important news bulletin. This just in from Live Action News. Innovation has come to the world of burndown. New Elevor herbicide controls your toughest weeds, even glyphosate and ALS-resistant weeds like mare's tail and henbit. Talk with your retailer about Elevor herbicide today and ask how you can start elevating your burndown. It's not about how quickly you come out of the gate with nitrogen fertilizer, but how strong you finish the race. High Striker uses patent-pending chemistry to stabilize your nitrogen in a form that lasts longer in your crop's root zone. Because for high yields, your nitrogen must last longer, so you can finish the season stronger. Visit agrotechusa.com to learn why so many growers are going the distance with High Striker-treated nitrogen. When it comes to commanding herbicide formulations, you know New Farm. New Farm brings you Panther SC, an animal when it comes to speed of control and long residual on a broad spectrum of tough broadleaf weeds like mare's tail, palmer amaranth, and water hemp. And did we mention convenience? Panther SC works in pre-plant, pre-emerge, and post-harvest systems and keeps your rotation options open. New Farm and Panther SC, here to help. Listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're talking about pop up fertilizer and corn and taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844 44 Ag PhD. Let's head out to Indiana. Got Charles with us right now. Charles, how's it going? I'm doing well, guys. How are you? We are doing well also. We got just a tiny little bit of rain today, so I was kidding everyone hey the drought is broken we're we're dry down well, eight feet or more so a, a little sprinkle isn't going to change that but uh what are you thinking today charles are you thinking about pop-up fertilizer you got another question well what i'm doing on both my corn and soybean planter i'm putting in the imperial pop-up capabilities on it and i'm planning on putting on say about five gallon 
on the corn, I'll put a 723.5 low salt uh, solution plus uh, like some humic acid and uh, sugar combos. And then uh, on the uh, soybeans, I'll put on like a 216.14 plus a couple of biologicals. But what I've Coming back to the corn, what I'm planning on doing, I've, I've got dry row fertilizer on the two by two. And so I'm planning on running some trials where I have no fertilizer at all, dry only, the liquid only, and then both. And um, I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to doing this. I think that, you know, really this is the next area that that we really need to be exploring is how to stimulate the corn right at the beginning. Yeah, we agree with that, Charles. Uh, that's There are a lot of really high-yield farmers that talk about that all the time. Just a couple of comments that I would make, or a couple of questions for you, I guess, first, that I, uh, that I would like to know. Number one, would you say your soil you're planting into is high fertility, medium, or is it low? It's, uh, where I'm going to be running the trials, it's going to be uh, kind of high. I've got uh, my CEC is about 8, and the, uh, potash, or the phosphate level is high. The potash level is medium. Uh, I've been, the last three years, putting a lot of mag lime on to try and get my uh, pH and my mag levels up. And one of the things I'm concerned about is sulfur. And sure. so uh, on the corn, I plan on putting uh, about five gallon of ATS in with my 28%. Yeah. And then for the soybeans, I'll be broadcasting KMAG in with the uh, K that I need to spread. Yep. Yeah, that all, that all sounds fine to me. Uh, I, I guess... I, I'm slightly concerned with your 723.5 that you want to put five gallons on in furrow in the corn. Are you in 30-inch rows? Yes. Okay. So I, I, a lot of times that's that's what we worry about the most is when we start putting a higher rate, and I'm going to call even five gallons a higher rate, in furrow, in a dry spring, in light soil, exactly like what you have. So if you want to try something else, let me just throw this out at you, and you can start running your own trials if you would like to. But if it was me, I'd probably put on half that much, and I'd replace it with water. And I'll bet you you're going to get the same gain out of 2.5 gallons of fertilizer and 2.5 gallons of water that you will out of the 5 gallons on average because that 5 gallons can be just a little hard. Now, I'm not saying cut back on your humic or sugar or any anything else, biologicals you want to throw in, whatever. That's all fine. Um, on the soybean side, um, what kind of rate were you talking? You said 216.14, but what kind of rate? I'm, I'm looking at uh, 5-gallon per acre on that also. Uh, and I'm in 18-inch rows on my soybeans. Okay, so that helps a little bit. Now you've spread it out, so that's equivalent to about 3 gallons if you were figuring 30-inch rows. But still, 
that's pushing it. On soybeans, a lot of times we go a gallon in 30 intro. So that'd be the equivalent to, let's call it, you know, gallon and three quarters or so in your 18 intros. And then we put a fair amount of water with that. So I ju- we worry more about soybeans than we do with corn. Now, the one good thing is if you happen to kill a few soybean plants, it's not the end of the world. The soybeans will bush out and, and they'll make up for it for the most part. But still, if it was me, I, I wouldn't go that much. So if nothing else, at least I'd be running some trials on this before you get too carried away on rate. Uh, you, you test it out on your farm, but where, where we're most worried is if your spring happens to be exceptionally dry in your light soils, that's, that's the year that could catch you. Okay, now then you're saying this even with a low-salt fertilizer. Then. Yep, even with a low-salt fertilizer. Even with a low salt okay. fertilizer. Now, granted, with a low salt fertilizer, that reduces the risk. And so your five gallons on, on corn might be okay. Five gallons on soybeans, even with low salt, to me, that's that's really pushing it in your light soil. But, I mean, you can certainly give this stuff a try. It's your farm. You get to do what you want. I'm just, uh, I'll put it to you this way. Our dad was always real big on risk mitigation. So the last thing we want to do is add more risk to our already risky farming operation. So anyway, we just advise people to be a little bit careful with that inferral stuff. Well, I, I appreciate that because risk assessment's one thing I try to do all the time. And, yep. you know, and my wife says, you really don't care how much risk they are that you're farming. So that's where we're at. <laughs> well, to some degree, that's true. We've got all kinds of risk already, but it's like, why pile it on? So anyway, uh, Charles, thanks a lot for the call. Appreciate it. Best of luck to you. I hope it turns out great. And, you know, one thing, too, I'll just add real quick. If nothing else on your corn, if you don't see higher yield, you will most likely still see a little bit drier corn in the fall, which is a big deal. You know, if let's say we get early frost or, you know, you want to harvest early, anything like that. The corn is usually for us a point or two drier when we're using in-furrow fertilizer in corn. So I think you're going to like it overall. Just don't get too carried away on the rate. Okay. Thank you much, guys. You bet. Thanks a lot for the call. Appreciate it. So yeah, what I was going through with Charles there is pretty much what I wanted to cover in this segment of the show anyway. It's just perfect timing. It was was actually a really good question. Absolutely. It's just caution to what you're going to do. And here's the here's the thing. Both Darren and I have been out with farmers and we've seen disasters with fertilizer. And invariably, the farmer will say something like this. Well, this is what I've always done. Or it's been just fine the last five years I did this exact same thing. So my point is, yes, it can be okay sometimes, but it can get yeah, I mean, the, the, the risk gets negated because you get had all kinds of rainfall. You planted a little bit later. You planted, uh, I mean, just the, some, some varieties are more sensitive. Who knows? But the, the thing is, it can be, hey, five years in a row, it was just fine. But you were taking, in our opinion, excess risk all along the way. So we love fertilizer. We want you to, to do everything you can to pop the seed out of the ground, to raise great yields. All that stuff is good. But we're just saying be really careful about what you're putting in furrow. And 
to take that one step further, when you start talking about, and I know it's not really our topic today, but two by two, okay, this is the reason why a lot of these really high yield guys have gone to two by two on both sides of the row. Because if you get too much fertilizer in any spot in that soil, the roots are going to burn off. Well, what good did that do? Now you just hurt your plant and you spent a bunch of money. So that's lose-lose to me. Just be careful about what you're doing with fertilizer. When you start getting big time rates, then that's where we say, you know, broadcast is a safe way to go. Keep your rates down when you're banding. Keep your rates down when you're putting stuff in furrow especially. And also be careful with what you're using. The higher the salt, the bigger the problem. And there are some things, you know, where immediately somebody says, hey, it's this type of uh, nutrient I'm concerned. Nitrogen would be one. Sulfur would be two. Those are two things, nitrogen and sulfur. We don't like in furrow hardly at all. I mean, yeah, it's fine with this, some little blend like he's talking about, 723.5. I get that there's a little bit of nitrogen, but don't get very carried away. So anyway, we love pop-up fertilizer. It's something that can absolutely help your crop get a good start. We use it on our farm every year. But just be careful what you're doing with rates. Pick a low-salt fertilizer and consider adding water to safen it even more. We'll get to more of your questions in the Ag PhD mailbag right after this. Precision crop nutrition pays. And AgroLiquid has precisely what it takes to help you succeed. The right products plus the right expertise to give you guidance based on your soils, your fields, and your goals. While our clean, seed-safe formulations and lower application rates make planter fertilizer easier than ever. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Protect your empire. Rule your fields with dual modes of action. Low-use rate Authority Supreme Herbicide from FMC combines Group 14 and Group 15 modes of action for pre-plant and pre-emergence control of key broadleaf weeds and grasses. A preventative application keeps your fields clean when it matters most to crop productivity. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. Step it up this season. Do more than just keep your soybean fields clean with Authority Supreme or Authority Edge herbicide from FMC. Walk those clean fields with pride and enter for your chance to win a $500 Cabela's gift card. Learn more and enter for your chance to win at stepitupwithfmc.com. Always read and follow label directions for use. Void were prohibited. Must be a legal U.S. resident and age of majority in your state to enter. See official rules for terms and conditions. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe this spring with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at headsupst.com. Customer service goes a long way when trying something new. Ryan Shaw from Michigan shares how Soil Warrior helped him transition to strip tillage in his operation. The Soil Warrior guys, they are amazing to work with. They made this jump in this transition extremely painless. One question that I get all the time is, how is the service and everything? And I said, well, actually, I get better service from them than I typically do my dealers uptown. They're just amazing. More info at SoilWarrior.com. You need a powerful herbicide to fight the war on weeds. 
Bellum is Rotam North America's Mesotrion herbicide, and it fights against the annual broadleaf weeds attacking your cornfields. Winning this battle means higher yields, lower cost to you, and maximized profitability. For long-lasting residual weed control, check out Evinco, Vilify, and our newest mix, Rixa. For application, flexibility, and season-long control, that's Evinco, Vilify, and Rixa, powered by Bellum. For more information, visit bellumherbicide.com. That's B-E-L-L-U-M herbicide.com. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us. Our email address is radio at agphd.com. If you have questions or soil tests or anything like that you'd like to send in or pictures, those types of things, or you can give us a call at 844-44-AG-PHD, which actually you can do both. We occasionally have somebody that says, here's my soil test, I'll email them, and I'm going to call you and talk about them. That's a, that's a cool way to do it, too. Uh, in this case, we got an email from Matt in Northwest Indiana, and Matt was on the uh, Neil Kinsey seminar, but he was watching virtually and had a question that we didn't get to, unfortunately. We had a lot of questions come in uh, during those days. He said, I, I managed to attend Neil's meeting in 2019. Look forward to coming in person again down the road. So I know Neil has got their own soil lab that they like to run theirs through, and I'm just kind of curious why they chose the extraction methods they did, and it's something we can bring up to to Neil down the road, Matt. Uh, in the meantime, Matt had taken the samples, sent them to four different labs just to see what kind of variance there was, and I, I mentioned this to Brian. Brian's like, yep, we've done that too. We definitely saw some difference, and yep. certainly with extraction methods. So Matt highlighted three big areas of concern where he thought there was quite a bit of variance, potassium, zinc, and manganese. Just wonder what you think about that and what you take from looking at that comparison. Brian. Sure. So first of all, I didn't think there was that much difference in potassium. Now, I know it's going to seem like a lot because the high for potassium was 163 parts per million and the low was 115. And in terms of base saturation K, the high was 5, the low was 3.6. But either way, I'm still going to make sure that I'm putting out at least as much as the crop needs because I don't have a ridiculously high amount of K in my soil. It, I, I view it for all three as too low. I don't care if it's 115 parts per million or 163 parts per million. For what I'm shooting for, that is not enough for me on our farm for yield. So I'm working on a build program with all those. So I think it's fine, but yeah, I mean, there's some difference. The biggest difference that you got here is just the, the type of test that was run. And he also summarized that too. A&L um, Labs was one that was in here. They run a Malik 3. Midwest Labs runs DTPA on uh, at least a bunch of the micronutrients. And then they run different extraction methods for some of the other things. So because the extraction methods are different, then the levels are going to be different. And that's really the what explains the, the thing with the zinc and the manganese. If you look at, okay, comparing DTPA test to DTPA test, there isn't nearly as much difference. But you compare Malik 3 to DTPA, now there is a lot more difference. So anyway, those are kind of the things that, that I would say to begin with. 
the next thing is we often talk about different ratios. So especially regarding to zinc, I, I just want to talk about the zinc thing for a second. And we'll talk like, okay, 10 to 1 ratio phosphorus to zinc. But we will say, hey, when we do that, that's figuring Midwest Labs extraction methods because that's where we're running our samples at. And we're talking DTPA and the zinc. So what we always encourage you to do is figure out, okay, in my farm, what is actually paying here? Compare your yields in each data point to your soil test information, and you'll be able to see, hey, at what level in my fields are the yields going up? Or at what point do I start leveling off in terms of how high can I push that zinc? How high can I push that, that phosphorus and those kind of things? So anyway, yes, there are some differences here. We've seen the exact same thing. And the biggest difference, like I say, is just the extraction methods. Uh, a lot of this stuff, though, is very similar. You know, soil pH and organic matter. And I, I mean, you're right in the same ballpark. And yep, it's not exact, but you know what? You could send, he could have done this with and split the sample into four and send them all to the same lab. And I will promise you, every number wouldn't have been exactly the same. They'd have yeah, been close. They'd be, they'd be pretty they'd close. They'd be pretty close. But I, yeah, but that's my point is when, when we talk about soil tests, that's why we don't ever say, well, you need exactly 321 parts per million on this. No, it's just, a, it's a range, it's a ballpark, and it also varies a lot on yield and the crop you're raising. All right. Thanks for the questions, Matt. Thanks for all that work too. It's it's good good stuff to, to take a look oh, at and study because hey, a lot of guys are curious about that. Hey, there was one thing. So when Darren and I were talking uh, over our, our last break, Darren had shown me this stuff and he said, yeah, then and the farmer would like to know, well, which extraction extraction method does Neil like? Well, Neil likes Neil's extraction methods. So he isn't going to well, recommend because, that you go with any of these. No, no. Uh, the reason why is he knows based on these numbers I know what I need to apply exactly. to get the desired result. Yep. And Ratios, still, everything else, yes. I, I would venture to guess, no matter which lab you're using, if you learn their numbers well over time, you could figure out, okay, how do I make recommendations off that and how do I get the desired result in the field? And yes, if you can't correlate soil test results to what you're going to get for results in the field, then then you've got a, a problem. But most most labs are doing pretty good. They just are going to show it in a little different way. All right, get this from Jonathan. And he said, I had a question the other day on glyphosate products and surfactant loads. And thanks for clarifying the differences. I agree 100% with the comments you made about product names and, and also about this. He said, the, the one thing that I have to make sure I make clear of when I order or send someone in is with warrant. We use warrant in cotton post-emerge. And if they ever bring me back warrant ultra with all these names that are so close, <laughs> exactly. we'd have dead cotton. So all my yep. mini bulk tanks that I have, we take to have refilled. They are clearly marked and labeled to make sure we don't have that problem. You're sure right, Jonathan. There are a lot of very similar sounding names. And even if they just change the rate a little bit from one product to the next, that can cause some big issues, let alone the active ingredients. Right. And that's what I said when I was answering his question. I complained to the big companies all the time, don't name it PowerMax 1, or 2, Or put it in and boxes three. that look exactly the same. Right. Right. It's got to be different. I worked in the warehouse uh, for a, a few years off and on, and or in a warehouse off and on for a few years. And it's like, okay, if I... If something looks similar, then it's so easy to make a mistake. And you know, it's one thing if you if you're going to buy a book or whatever. I mean, 
who cares? You got the wrong thing. It's not the end of the world. But you get the wrong thing when it, it's ag chemicals and you may kill a crop or you you lose tens of thousands of dollars because you have poor weed control. I, I mean, you got to have it right. So, yes, I think the companies have no business naming stuff so similar. All right. With all the talk here about soil sampling, Mark from Nebraska got a question in. He said, I was curious about strip till and soil sampling. Just wondering, I know you guys probably talked about this before, but how many cores are you taking in the strip versus out of the strip or how do you do it on your farm? Completely random. So that's the way the labs will say, and that's usually what we will say too. So I I wouldn't get too worried about in the strip or out of the strip. But if you want to do the same study that we did back years ago when we first started getting into strip till, what we learned is the nutrient removal charts are pretty accurate because if you put out the roughly the amount of fertilizer that the crop is going to take out, grain removal at least, then you will find, and you do this for a period of years, you will find that in the row will be the same as between the row. Okay, If you are on a build program, you'll find that in the row is more than between the row. If you're on basically a removal program and you're shorting yourself all the time, you'll find that in the row is less than between the row. So it depends a little bit on what you want to do. I mean, if you're just testing for one year and you say, well, I'm going to soil test every single year. I don't care that it costs more money and is more work. And that's what you want to do. If it was me, I would sample right where I'm going to plant the next year because that's where the majority of your crop roots are going to be. So there are several ways to do this, but when you asked how we do it on our farm, it's random, and I'm, I'm just not that worried about it because usually we are putting out about what the crop's going to remove when we strip till. When we want to be on a build program, that's typically where we are broadcasting. All right. Uh, then I get one from Donnie. He said, I've got sweet corn and I heard you talking about corn fungicides as early as V5. Just wondering what you would recommend for a fungicide program in sweet corn. A fungicide program in sweet corn? Correct. I don't know that it's really any different than regular corn. It's just I don't off the top of my head remember for sure if every one of those products is labeled in yeah, sweet here's, corn. Here's the big thing, Donnie. You just have to think about it this way. Fungicides protect the leaves that you spray them on. Yes. So if you're going to do a foliar fungicide, it's going to protect what's up at that point. So yes, if you're spraying at V5, that's great to protect the lower part of the plant. You definitely want to protect that ear leaf. That's going to be the most important. And so yeah, and I, then I would spraying adjust it accordingly. Yep. Yeah, if you're in a yep. heavy disease pressure area, that's going to mean you're probably applying at least twice. We'll get back to more of your calls and questions right after this. Stay tuned. Wherever you go, whatever you're doing, whenever you want. Farm your way with Case IH AFS Connect. Now you can farm, share data, and manage your fleet however, whenever, and wherever you want. Learn more at caseih.com slash farm your way. You're all set with the 4x4 turbo diesel truck. How about some options? Spray and bed liner? Absolutely. Tailgate step and nerf bars? Gotta have them. Tie down hooks and stainless steel toolbox? You know it. Tinted windows? Of course. Options are good. That's as true in the field as it is with your pickup. In addition to taking care of tough weeds, new Open Sky herbicide gives you more rotational choices than ever before and an easy-to-handle formulation. <laughs> Gooseneck toe package? Yep. 
Discover more Open Sky details at openskyherbicide.com. You can count on AgroLiquid for precision crop nutrition. When you don't get all your potash down in the fall, when weather or market prices change your management strategy, or when you want to balance your fertilizer program with micronutrients, AgroLiquid is ready with the products and application flexibility you want for in-season crop nutrition and the research-proven results you need. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. You deserve to have a building that will last for generations. With more than 110 years of experience and thousands of satisfied customers, Morton Buildings is the industry leader you can trust. Unlike other construction companies, you work with Morton Buildings craftsmen. From conception to completion, there's no better time to buy. Lock in your new building for 2020 today. Contact your local Morton sales office or visit mortonbuildings.com. Heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima fungicide, swift activity, with fast payback, an expanded application window. Makes life simple, and it's the secure choice with powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltima fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima fungicide is not registered in all states. Thanks for listening to Ag PhD Radio today. We're right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag time here in the Morton studio. And taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. You got this one from Mike. He's down in Kansas. Uh, he said, we did some grid sampling here. We got a few fields. All three of these fields were done on two and a half acre grids. Uh, one of them done for the first time, the one that says Big Scott, that one was, was tested the first time this year. The amount of sodium spots out there are alarming to us. We currently have no access to gypsum in our part of southeast Kansas. I know elemental sulfur is another option to try to help work this through, but it's a pretty expensive fix, and with elemental, who knows how long it will take to break down and fix the problem. Just wondering, is there anything else we could do to try to lessen the yield hits in these alarmingly high sodium areas? And then you get questions on the other fields too. Okay, well, first of all, some crops are more tolerant to sodium. Barley, for example, is one I think of right off the top of my head that is much more tolerant than like, let's say, a corn or especially a soybean crop. So that's the first thing. The second thing is I would try to figure out why in the world is our sodium getting up to 13%? That's a problem. And it didn't just happen. So it's usually one of a few things. It could be a drainage issue. And, you know, looking at, we got around 20 CEC soil. That, that means a heavy soil. That very well could be it. And maybe you just need some tile in the field and that's going to solve your problem over the next 30 to 40 years. Because this has been building for 30 to 40 years. This didn't happen overnight. Uh, next thing, it could be 
too much manure has been applied there. Next thing is poor irrigation water quality. Okay. Now I'm concerned about this manure thing because he said the other two fields are part of a hog operation. And he said those two fields are tiled and look to be in pretty good shape fertility-wise for their area. Yeah, but... But here's my here's my concern. I don't have sodium readings on those other two fields. I also don't have micronutrient readings on the other two fields. I would like to see what those are just to make sure they're okay. But without that information, does he have zinc I, on those other two? Well, yeah, he has zinc. Okay, because he was I don't, worried I don't have about the other things. he's worried about that his phosphorus to zinc ratio was was too yes. wide. Just wondering what yes. your thoughts were on that. Yes. No, I would agree with that, at least in spots. But he's got a lot of variability there. So let me let me step back. That first field that we were talking about, the one that he sampled for the first time, manure hasn't been the problem there, or excess manure, because fertility levels right, his fertility levels are really, really, really low. And by the way, we never finished up in terms of fixing or what to do on that that sodium deal the first thing i'm doing is drainage the second thing i'm doing is looking at whatever water i'm throwing out there i i'm going to make sure that i've got that that solved i got to get better quality water treat the water uh it's 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 well let's see i'm just looking at the worst you know uh, the calcium percentage is fine in most so so would you i was looking for the very worst throw that way out of whack by putting on calcium sulfate or gypsum okay. okay he's got one spot of 13 and then i guess he's got a couple of other spots of nine percent sodium it, the 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 calcium levels are low and the magnesium levels are high so when i see magnesium levels really high and calcium levels really low that also leads me to believe hey our issue here might not just be this sodium thing it you know just oh it magically happened it's a drainage thing. So for me, I'm putting tile in the ground and as much of it as I can possibly afford, that's what I'm going to do. And then over time, I'm going to build my sulfur levels. Well, actually, I'm going to put on some good good doses of sulfur with gypsum, maybe even lime, like there are a couple, couple of his spots are lower pH. So it's interesting when sodium is really high and magnesium is high and still the pH is a little low. So anyway, he certainly yeah, could use a little lime. Otherwise, we're talking gypsum. It's or interesting, too, as you pull tile through those spots that you're digging in the soil, whatever, three feet, four feet deep, depending on where you're at and, and how you want to run your tile. But when you're digging down three or four feet, that soil is different than the soil in the top few inches. So you're going to get a little bit of a change there right over the line. And sometimes that ends up being a real positive if you've got such high sodium levels that you really can't get water to percolate down through that soil, maybe right in that strip where you've stirred everything up with your tile plow, that'll help. Okay. Anyway, coming back to this other field where he's worried about the phosphorus to zinc ratio, he's 20 to 1 in a lot of it. We found somewhere around 10 to 1, maybe it's 8 to 1, 12 to 1, somewhere around there it's been good. But here's the whole thing. He's already at, in a bunch of spots, 10 parts per million of zinc, which is pretty good. So if you're at 100 parts per million of phosphorus, you're fine. Now, he's he's clear up to 200, 250, at least in a couple spots, parts per million on phosphorus. And where I'm going with this is simply this. If he says, well, you know what, I just, I want to, I'm at, I want to be at this 10 to 1 ratio like you guys are talking about, so I want to get to 25 parts per million on zinc. Okay, number one, that's probably going to create some issues with other micronutrients and availability, and we don't have the levels on any of your other micros. 
The next thing is it's very easy to draw phosphorus down. I can take a 250 phosphorus level and get it down to where I would call it even deficient in the field in just a few years. For zinc, it'll take 100 years to take your zinc levels from 25 parts per million down to where we would consider it deficient in the, in the field. So I'm just saying don't be overdoing it on zinc if you aren't going to keep those phosphorus levels up where they are. If you say, well, I, I, you know, it doesn't really make a lot of sense to be at 250 on phosphorus. Why don't I just cut her back to, over time, 150 or whatever? You see where I'm going with this. Then all of a sudden you got your zinc too high for your phosphorus if you go all the way up to 25. So just be careful with that. That's all I'm saying. But uh, there, he's got so, such variability with the zinc. He's as low as one all the way up to 10 parts per million. No, actually 17 parts per million would be the high. So my point is variable rate and and go out and do some, let's say, broadcast zinc sulfate or something like that and just fix those lower areas and you should be in good shape. All right. Uh, yeah, it's, it's just not easy and not fast when you're dealing with those sodium levels. No. All right. I uh, get this from Scott. He said, you were talking about grass waterways recently, and my struggle on my farm is most of the waterways have now been straightened and then tiled, and that's great. But the water is moving so fast off the field. Having a place for it to go is sometimes a little bit of a challenge. Do you think a meandering water channel is a better thing in some cases just to slow the flow down? Well, sure, you can do that. I mean, it's just like roads in the mountains. What do they do? They wind around a lot of times. And part of the reason why they do that is so they don't have to be so steep going up and down. So it just depends on what you want to do. Um, but, you know, tile absolutely does reduce the amount of water that there is. Yeah, there. I think that, I think that's the big thing here, Scott, too. And and one of the things, now I get it, if you get tons of slope, you're you're just gonna have water coming off faster and yeah. get the big rains. There's yep. not much you can do about that. But but when you well, I mean there are a few things, but there's there's no yeah. magic fix. But when you're when you're putting tile on the ground, the goal is to try to get as much to soak in as possible. Right. And if you keep that soil in an ideal situation where there's just the right amount of air in the soil, you've got a big sponge there to soak in at least the first inch or two maybe of those big rains, hopefully before a lot runs off. And as long as you've got grass established and your waterway is big enough, then who cares if it's coming a little fast? I mean, do I ideally want that? No, but I mean, what are you going to do? You're not going to put little dams out there to slow things down. So I, I, I don't know that I would get that worried about it. It's just you have to have good established grass and then the water will run over the top of it without ruining your soil. All right. Thanks for that question. I uh, got one from Jimmy in Eastern North Carolina. He said, I got morning glory problems in my field corn. Are there any pre's that seem to have much impact on a viney weed like that? You know, that's that's a tougher one. Uh, I know we yep. do a little bit better normally with the post. A lot of times we'll do, uh, and these aren't expensive. Did we say corn or beans? Corn. Oh, okay. We'll, we'll end up doing sure start or triple flex. That's yep. been something, um, you yep. know, if Sharpen you're doing a burn help. down... You could do verdict, so you'd have that sharpen in there. So yep. there, there are some choices. the The thing is, the HPPD products just haven't been great on a lot of those types of weeds. So that's that's one of the things that I 
would say, I, I don't know, you're going to get a huge benefit out of no, a lot you get, of HPD. You get a little activity. You get a little activity. Yeah, they, they might yeah, ding them it, up a little bit. I really like Status Post-Emerge, though, cleaning it up. Well, yeah, Status is great post. That's what I'd use there, and I'd use Verdict Pre because of that sharpen. But like Darren said, sure start and Triple Flex. Uh, they're they're real good too, and it's because of those other components in the Sure Start and Triple Flex, not the Group 15. It's the Stinger and the Python that are in there, especially the Python. All right, thanks for the question, Jimmy. We really appreciate that. Good luck controlling the the Morning Glory out there this year. Had a fun show today with lots of questions, and some of them involve drainage. If you'd like more information on improving drainage on your farm, we've got a drainage clinic coming up March 16th. Just go to agphd.com for all the details. Thanks for listening today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.